Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Drum Buncher Radio, episode number 22. Marty Leap, Nick Caparoso, Trey Yannity with you. Let's open the mailbag, gentlemen. We've been receiving Twitter questions over the week, getting your thoughts, getting your opinions, what you guys want to talk about. Let's get right into it. Our first question. This one's a little bit of a, maybe a joke question, but I think it's it's valid and we need to address it. From at Yens Daily. Is Cabrian Hayes the best third baseman in the National League? I'm just going to go ahead and say uh, at this point, yeah. So look at the hard contact rate. Look at the average exit velo. The plays he's making so far. I think it's hard to disagree that Cabrian Hayes is the best third baseman in the league already. I think if you're going right now, you can make that argument for sure. Like you said, he's everything he hits is scorched. Um, he's making you know some unbelievable plays already. Um, yeah, he's really emerged as the you know one one real positive out of the season for the pirates uh, they've had some other stuff but he's been obviously the big time bright spot so yeah i wouldn't I, i'm not going to crown him the best uh third baseman in the national league yet he has a lot of work to do um you know but he definitely can't ask for a better start to a career and you know now we're seeing why that you know they spent a first round pick on him many years ago me, me personally, just if for nothing else, because whenever I say this jokingly on Twitter, it makes people extremely angry that I would dare say something positive about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Just just to anger those folks and anger the fun police, I'm going to go ahead and declare that Key Brian Hayes is the best third baseman in baseball. You can go ahead and make his bust already for Cooperstown. He will be there after he wins five or six MVP awards. But – you know, honestly, what Hayes has done since he's been called up has been remarkable. He, he leads Major League Baseball in exit velocity since being called up. He has a hard hit rate of 60%. He is, you touched on Nick. He's been incredible in the field. So through this point of his career, I mean, obviously, it's a very small sample size so far for Key Brian Hayes with 65 plate appearances. But you know, the, the numbers he's done, he, he's on pace to be – if he would do this over the course of a 162-game season – He'd be on pace to be a 10 war player, which is just insanity. And like, he's not going to be a 10 war player. Like, that's just, if your name's not Mike Trout, those kinds of things don't really happen. 
But I mean, it shows you it know the talent he has. Yeah, like and the fact that he's no doing this his, already. Yeah, there, there's no reason to believe he won't be a six to seven WAR player consistently if the bat's going to continue to play like this. Because we always knew he was going to do it defensively, and with the bat playing the way it is, you're you're talking legitimately one of the best all around players in the National League. And I love the enthusiasm, Marty. It's you know it, it's. I think we have we we take this question on now as a little bit of you know just a joke, just speculation. But realistically, at some point in his career, I don't think there's ever going to be a question if he's the best third baseman in the National League because he's just the ceiling on Cabrian Hayes and the fact that we're able to have this conversation already. Just every night, the exciting plays we see and already the war is is insane. Um, just to just to see him hitting the ball and you know that's the one thing I think we addressed when he was in Altoona when we were talking about the call up was that launch angle. And we've seen such an adjustment there already, the way he's hitting the, the baseball. Another home run against St. Louis on Sunday, uh, or Saturday, rather. Uh, just just absolutely killing it so far in the major leagues. We hope to see. And you know what? Why not, Marty? He is the best third baseman in the National League already. Let's move it along. At J-Rob25, in all seriousness, with the designated hitter probably leaving next season, what are we going to do with Josh Bell? Also, why is this team so bad defensively? We can address the Josh Bell question first. I, honestly, I don't think the National League is going to lose a designated hitter for next season. Um, when they redo the CBA following the 2021 season, it was pretty much a slam dunk even before this year that the Universal DH was going to show up. So to drop it for one season just does not make a lot of sense to me. So I think something will be worked out this offseason as to where – the National League will still have the designated hitter next year. I mean, that said, the Pirates are still going to face questions with Josh Bell. You know, there, there's going to be trade rumors around him this offseason. I don't know how much trade value he'll have with how much he has struggled this year. But, like I said, I don't I'm, – I'm personally of the belief that the National League will have the designated hitter in 2021. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Marty. I, I do not believe they will – eliminate the DH for a single season. Um, overall, I think it's been a pretty positive move across the league. Um, I don't think you've seen much of a change in terms of games. And uh, quite honestly, I don't think you've seen a lot uh, of fans really saying much about it other than your you know, classic, typical ones that you would expect. But for the most part, I think fans are okay with it. I don't think anyone would have an issue if they kept it for next year. And I think that would be the biggest thing is if, if the fans can, if, if the fans are okay with it and the players are okay with it, then I don't see why we won't have it back. Uh, you know, the big thing also I think about is if you're, if you're a team and you're trying to invest in a pitcher and you lose them next year to a significant injury. Then you see that DH come back. I just, I don't see why a team would want to risk having one of their pitchers suffer a significant injury just for a season without a DH. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think even the most traditional baseball fan at first, maybe raising their eyebrow in this rule um, was announced for the designated here. But I think everybody is now kind of on board with. I think it's just like a, you know, whatever thing. Like, exactly. The, I think, games, you know, the games are still being played, you know. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, it just took a little bit of an adjustment period and, and people needed to get used to it. But I think 
as a whole, it just it, it adds quality to the game of baseball. Marty mentioned it early on this season. Let's watch players do what they're good at. And watching a player, watching a pitcher hit just isn't that's not that's not what they're there for. And like you said, with the injury factor, too, you're opening a whole world of, you know, possibilities, eliminating the DH for a season, bringing it back. It, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, but to kind of follow up on that question, let's say the DH is universal moving forward. What do they do with Josh Bell? Do we see him play first base ever moving forward, or is he going to lock into that DH role? I would I hope like not. Hell we haven't seen him first base. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I was going to kind of mention that though, and you know, we talked about the potential trade rumors with Bell, but you know, questions and concerns about the type of return you would get for him at this point. You know, and you got to start to wonder if uh, a guy like Colin Moran ends up being kind of the the trade ship right now, uh, just having a strong season can play the corners. And while he is going to be a better option at first base defensively than Josh Bell, um, like you said, if the, if the DH doesn't come back, um, then it doesn't, they're, they're, they're going to probably look at the two and figure out, you know, what's going to get them the best return. And right now, Colin Moran will probably get them a better return. Now the DH is there, then, yeah, I mean, like like Marty said, like I said, I I would really hope we don't see Josh Bell playing first unless it's, you know, once in a blue moon for, you know, a day off or Moran or whatever. Josh Bell just I, – I know I've hit it on here before. I know he works hard at first base. He's tried to improve. But he just hasn't. He's just progressively gotten worse at first. Just he, he can't play there anymore. I don't know why they keep doing it with the designated hitter now. And they do have the designated hitter next year again. And Bell's here, and they're continuing to do this. I'm going to continue to rip my hair out all season long watching him try and play first base. Well, it's just like, you know, I think that's what we're getting at. There's no reason. It's obviously a problem that isn't looking like it's going to be fixed. They've tried and tried, and it's not getting any better. There's no reason to do that. You know, it leads us really into J-Rob's second question. What has made this team so bad defensively this season? Is it just certain players like JT Riddle and Josh Bell causing so many errors? Or why is a team have the Pirates look so poorly in the field? I think it's a little bit of both. I think a guy like JT Riddle is part of the issue. Um, You know, baseball is a game of consistency. This has been one of our big criticisms of Shelton is – that he, he manages the team very similar to Hurdle. And he he's always moving guys around. He's always getting making sure everyone's in the lineup every so many days. And, you know, as much as I like that, you know, when you're talking about guys like JT Riddle, um, you know, not only are, is he not doing much with the bat, but you're putting him in that defensive positions that he's playing inconsistently. So he's going to make errors. And it's the same thing with other guys. If you're moving them around, ask them to play some positions that they're not used to or – you know, they're not getting consistent, you know, reps at that spot. They're going to make errors. You know, take Kevin Newman, for instance. He didn't play second base the whole year. They move him over there, and he has some throwing issues there. And it's like, well, yeah, naturally, he's going to have some issues throwing the ball at second base because he hasn't had to make that angle of a throw in a very long time. So, you know, I think it's a little bit of just moving guys around too much, Um especially early on they he really was getting cute with the lineups i think we've finally seen him settle down a little bit in terms of moving guys around but what do you think marty no i agree with a lot of that i think some of the defensive makeup this year to an extent really has just kind of set this team up to fail i mean bell 
you know what he is at first. Colin Moran, when he was still playing third earlier in the year, he's not good there. JT Riddle was stunk everywhere. Um, between trading Gerard Dyson, you know, you've had a lot of Brian Reynolds in center field lately. Reynolds is not a good defensive, not a good defensive center fielder. Adam Frazier's been in the outfield a bunch. He's not as good as he is a second. You know, the Cole Tucker outfield experiment hasn't really panned out defensively. So it, I think a lot of it has come from the, the construction of the lineup defensively and where they're playing guys, as well as just guys like Riddle or Moran or whoever it might be, or Bell, who are just not good defensive players, you know. And, Nick, you touched on with Newman a second – I mean, I, I like that move because I think if he's going to be a starter long-term at the second base anyway and, and not, not a shortstop, but, you know, it goes back to you would expect struggles early on, you, you know, at, at second base when he hasn't played it consistently in so long. So, but, you know, you get the lumps out of the way now and you go into next year and you're looking at him at second base and rather be Eric Gonzalez, a short, Cole Tucker, maybe O'Neal Cruz at some point, whatever it might be. But, yeah, it, it, the defense has definitely been frustrating this year. I mean, outside of Jacob Stallings and and Hayes and Gonzalez, there really has been no one who's even been a quality defender, let alone like a plus defender. So th- that's definitely something that the Pirates need to look to improve on heading into 2021. The, the other issue I think about, you know, in terms of the defense is that – you know, I was I was kind of saying this, and I thought you were going this, in this direction, Marty, is Shelton at times, like you said, it just seems like he sets them up for fail failure. It's like you put Josh Bell at first, you put JT Riddle at third base, you know, there's a good chance there's going to be an error or two in that game. Like, there's just times where it seems like they aren't putting, you know, it's, it's what we're saying essentially at Josh Bell. Like, you're not doing him any favors you're not doing the team any favors by playing him at first base at this point so why are we continuing to put out you know players who cannot play these positions i don't know it's frustrating well and i don't want to sound like you know the conspiracy theorist this that whatever but you know how much of this and i know so much of it is experimental but how much of this is part of maybe a greater tank strategy and kind of just supplementing the you know we want to see how this guy plays at this position yeah, like you said, it might be a little bit of that too, of not even, you know, they might have a program, you know, worked out a schedule of, all right, like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, this is what we're going to play. This is how many innings they're going to play at these positions because we know, like, we're not really expecting much out of this team anyhow. So exactly, we're, yeah. we're, we're more just like you said, worried about getting these guys in, getting their innings, getting their, you know, production. But I don't know. I, I, I think for a guy like Bell, it's, like I've said before on the show and Marty has to, if anything, you're just making things worse for him. It can't help confidence. It can't help anything. It's really, it's frustrating. And it's just surprising to see Josh Bell still getting starts at first base as much as he is with the DH being in play uh, this season and, you know, potentially moving forward here. Let's move it along at Jerry Mack 66 wants to know, realistically, where are we contending? And what is in the pipeline and how is it an improvement to this team? Let's, you know, maybe rephrase this a little bit. Obviously this season, you know, the Pirates are are well out of contention for anything. But in the grand scheme of things, where have the Pirates set themselves up for the future? Yeah, this is something that I feel like a lot of people, 
<clears throat> rather they don't realize it or whatever it might be, the pirates have very quietly put together a, a very strong farm system. Um, so I, one thing with that, with the future, and I, I think people should be a little more optimistic than they probably are, because I, I don't know how many people realize this, but you know, the pirates have quietly put together a pretty strong farm system. I mean, all, they're up to fifth by Fangraph's farm system rankings. And I know I've mentioned on, on the show in the past that Fangraph's has done the best job of projecting major league production from minor league players than anyone else has in recent years. So to be checking in number five farm system in baseball by Fangraphs is saying a lot. So there is talent there. There is a lot of talent in this system. It's a few years away. You know, we're going to suffer through another year or two of losing, but you know, you see key Brian Hayes. We'll get into this more in a little bit. The Mitch Keller has started to flash what he can do. You know, you have O'Neill Cruz, Travis Swaggerty, Cody Bolden, all guys who could be in the minor or the majors, excuse me, by next year. You know, Nick Gonzalez isn't going to be far behind. You have those pitchers down in the low minors with Brendan Malone and Quinn Priester. You have Leo Vera Paguero, who would be a very good shortstop. Like, there is talent there. And I think people just need to be patient with it because the talent is coming. Yeah, I um, think that's going to be the issue here. Not so much the issue, but. Like you said, a lot of the a lot of the top tier talent, especially our pitching talent, is going to be in the lower minors. Yeah, I think realistically, when you're looking at you know that answer to question about the window, we're looking at probably 2023. I would kind of call that 2013 this year. You know, maybe sneak in as a wild card, be in the be in the division race, but uh, you know, I I think I'm a little more bullish. I think with the minor league system potentially changing i think with this time in altoona you know i we were talking about this the other day um it will be interesting to see how organizations value this time at the alternate sites you're talking about basically uh some of your best prospects in your minor league system playing against each other as well as you know major league veterans so it'll be interesting to see you know a guy like nick gonzalez who has yet to play a single minor league inning but has also been spending a lot of quality time out in Altoona. It'll be interesting to see where they start him next year um, in terms of the minor league levels. He's a guy who I'm a little more uh, high on than – I shouldn't say high on. I know everyone's very high on him. He's a first-round pick. But I think he could help this team a lot sooner than it's being projected. Right now they're projecting him at like 2023. You know, I think he has such an advanced bat in – just based off of what, you know, it's being said about what he's doing in Altoona. I think he can move a little quicker through the system and we could see him sooner. But for the most part. They're, they're all real quick with him too. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're being very aggressive for a guy who they don't see making the majors for three years. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. I just like, it seems like, yeah, it just seems like they're very intrigued by, his potential to help like now I not now, but like soon, it just seems like the the comments Sherrington made about him a few weeks ago makes me feel like that. He is not three years away. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It, it really seems like this front office is, is going to be progressive in the way they move certain players. If they're qualified and, you know, maybe we had Cabrian Hayes waiting in the wings for a little bit too long, but especially guys like Gonzalez that, 
a little bit older, so much experience, and really just looks so good in the Cape. We could see him get up a little bit sooner. And who knows who this team adds in the offseason? You know, let's say a Josh Bell deal goes through, there could be three more pieces in that minor league system. Well, that's, yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. You know, you, you don't know. Like, they just completed two trades uh, today. One was at the Cardinals, one was the Orioles. They trade away a couple minor league prospects for international money. Obviously, they have their eyes on uh, a couple guys that they'd like to sign. It's for the, for the current signing period, which is going to end uh, the first week of October here. So, you know, like I said, they obviously have their eyes on, you know, a prospect or two that they still want to bring in, like you said, this offseason, we could see a potential Josh Bell, Calmeran, Adam Frazier, Joe Musgrove trade. So, Certainly. yeah, I think, like Marty said, we're still going to see a little bit um, of a tearing down process. I think we're going to still see some struggles next year. But once again, I think you're going to start to see the mo- the youth movement. And uh, if anything else, just reasons to be a little optimistic, you know, as we go on. Definitely. And, you know, I think that's what they were hinting at, too, at the deadline. It was a pretty cold deadline for the Pirates, but this offseason is where they can attack and at the winter meetings and whatever else, make some make some moves and maybe, you know, get that big international signee um, to really set this team up for the future. But I think that Windows 2023 is realistic. And, um, you know, it's really setting up, like you said, like a decade ago when we saw this team start to turn it around. 2011, 2012, and into the into the teens, obviously, when this team had success. Hopefully, uh, that that window is realistic and not further away than we expect. Alexa uh, Mattia, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing that, wants to know, should the Pirates keep Gregory Polanco next year or move on? And if they decide to go in a different direction, who would replace El Café? <laughs> I have said for a while now, that I 100% believe the Pirates are going to sign Jackie Bradley Jr. this offseason. Um, between the team's need for outfield help, especially center field, and his ties to Ben Charrington, he's not going to be super expensive because you're signing him almost exclusively for the glove. Um, I just I could see it happening. That just feels like a move they would make. So that could potentially impact Polanco. I don't know. I, I get why people want to move on from him. I'm a bigger Polanco fan than most, but at the same time, I realize it's probably time to move on from him. But when you combine his contract with the current state of this team, I just don't I don't see it happening in the offseason. I think he's here at least to start the year. And if he comes out and continues the struggle, you know, a month, month and a half into the season, you probably move on to him. And that's when we see Travis Swaggerty in right field. But I, I just, I can't, I can't envision Polanco not being here on opening day next year. I get what you're saying, Marty. Um, you know, it's, one of those things he's due to make eleven point six million dollars next year. Then he has, you know, a couple of club options for twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. Um, so unless you really find a team who truly believes in him, maybe is looking for a left handed power hitter and has trouble finding one on the free agent market, but 
you know, at that price tag for his production, his health, his health questions, um, I don't really see there being much of a market for him. So that's why I think you're kind of right. I think you'll see him start the year and, you know, if he can get off to a good start, I could see them trying to trade him. Uh, if not, you know, you're looking at next season with those options after very well, either way, his time might be coming to a close here. Like you said, they got Travis Swaggery who should, should be in line to make some sort of big league debut, uh, you know, next year. And then of course we still have Jared Oliva also who has yet to get a major league crack. Um, but definitely will get a shot to show he belongs in the major league outfield as well. So they do have options. Like I said, if they can find the right, you know, a deal for them, I just don't know, you know, outside of maybe a team or two, how much of a market you would really be able to find for them. I, I do wonder too with, with with that whole situation there, like with Jared Oliver, I I do wonder how much this front office really values him. Maybe I don't know. Like we haven't seen him yet, even with all the everything that's happened in the outfield. So I, I don't know. I just like we said, I think Polanco is definitely here to start the year. But the fact that I believe they're going to sign a center fielder in the offseason, even if it's not Bradley is why I don't think Polanco without really turning it around is here to end the year next year. Because like you said, Swaggerty should be in a position to make that jump next season. And they're going to look to get him in there. And if you bring someone in on a two or three year contract in the off season, they're still going to be your center fielder. So that's where you probably wind up a Swaggerty, right? So I, I, that's, that's, I think will be a real wild card there, but I do expect Polanco to be given one more opportunity to try and prove it on the field next year. He, you know, I think he deserves it because I think you got to look at this season with a little bit of a grain of salt. Such a weird season, extenuating circumstances. Polanco getting COVID, coming back, you know, trying to kind of mesh when the season had already started. I think this season you maybe you just have to take a breath in and and give Gregory another chance because he has the potential. We've seen it obviously, and and it, it would be tough to just you know turn your back like this. And the guy is tenth in in. Average exit velocity, I believe, um, at this point, or hard contact rate, rather. But I, it would it would be, I think, a little bit too early to go ahead and turn your back. But long term, Swaggerty is the option there, obviously. So we'll see how that plays out and continues to, um, you know, develop there. Hopefully, Gregory can stay healthy. I think a couple seasons in a row of complete health would be huge for Gregory's success and, and really just mental health as well. The Pirates welcomed in the St. Louis Cardinals for a four-game set this weekend. Some ups and downs, uh, you know, a game one victory against the Redbirds. Not a lot of offense the rest of the weekend. We see Mitch Keller throw six beautiful hitless innings. Let's talk about that first here. The velocity was up. You know, we saw some, uh, you know, amazing pitches from Keller. He only threw 84 and was pulled. Do you guys agree with that decision to to go ahead and get Keller out of there, even with the no hitter intact? Now, admittedly, on my end, um, I did not watch the game on Saturday. I was out of town for a bachelor party, but uh, my my buddy John, who shout out to John because I know he's a loyal listener to the podcast, he he and I were following the game on our phones, and you know, fourth inning, fifth inning, sixth inning, no hitters going. Only 84 pitches. We thought for sure. At that point, you knew he probably wasn't going to throw the no-hitter because if nothing else, his pitch count was going to get him. But I would have liked to have seen him at least start the seventh inning, you know, try and really 
set him up for success. Now I, I can understand the argument as well as, you know, let's get him out of there with this thing still intact to boost his momentum or his uh, confidence, excuse me. But I would have sent Keller out to start the seventh. I mean, you didn't, you had a pretty big lead at that point and it wouldn't have hurt you if you sent him out there and he gives up a single to start the inning. Cause I mean, as we saw, everything went totally sideways in seventh inning anyhow. But yeah, I, I would have sent Keller out to start the seventh, but without that, you know, it's great to see him have a start where he finally puts it all together and flashes the stuff that has led so many people to believe that he can be a top of the rotation arm for the Pirates for a long time. Yeah, that was, I wrote an article on Sunday about that. Uh, this is the Mitch Keller we need to see. And I, I don't even care about the results per se. Um, you know, even back to his first start back from the injury, Mitch Keller did not look like Mitch Keller at the beginning of the year. And we knew that because of his velocity. When you see that velocity there, then there's a good chance that means Mitch Keller is healthy. And that means his pitches are, you know, performing at, at their peak, at their top uh, effectiveness. And when Keller's fastball is on, that's going to allow those other pitches to, to be effective. So, you know, the 95 mile per hour fastball average over the last two starts hit up to 97. That's what we were seeing last year. But the difference is, like you said, Marty, this started out, we were finally seeing the, that swing and miss, that command, uh, you know, not walking a lot of guys. He only had two walks. Um, it was definitely a great step forward. Now, in terms of him getting caught, uh, taken out, I'm. I, I'm right on board with you. I don't get the seventh inning thing. You know, we always talk about the hundred inning, uh, hundred pitches being the magical number. So, what's the worst that he goes on the seventh? He gets to around a hundred, and then at least you can, sit, you know, make that argument. Hey, he's a young pitcher, hundred pitches. You've seen that before. You know, across the game of baseball, guys get pulled out, especially in a close game. You want to bring in your relievers. That's fine, but I mean, the sixth inning thing, I, I just don't get it. I really don't. I 84 pitches. The guy's pitching well, you know, it was frustrating to watch as a fan. It definitely was. And and with the way the bullpen has looked these last several nights, you know, obviously Friday and, and into Saturday, they didn't know that they were going to come in and blow it up these last two days. But it's just, it's a frustrating move to see his start get completely messed up. Joe Musgrove's start today get absolutely thrown to the side. Um, but let, let's talk about the staff as a whole. Three really exceptional starts this weekend. Big Joe, like I said today, 11 strikeouts. How about old Joe Musgrove coming back and looking excellent these last few times out? It's big for Joe Musgrove, and it's big for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, you know, he needs to look strong. Uh, there was a lot of talk about him possibly getting traded at the deadline. It didn't seem like, you know, that was going to happen because of him coming off the injury. And, you know, so I hate to say it, but right now Joe Musgrove might be the team's best trade chip this offseason. And for a team that still is, needs to make some deals to improve the quality of the the talent that they're going to have coming up for that 2023 window. Um, you know, they need Joe, Joe Musgrove to do what he did today. Now with that, you know, and I know Marty's definitely going to say this cause this is something we've talked about before. I would love to keep Joe Musgrove around. I would love to extend them, but what, what's happening with, you know, the pirates rotation right now might not, necessarily allow that you have a, you look towards next year you have tie on coming back so you're gonna assume he's going into rotation 
you have Chris Archer, who you're going to decline his option, if I had to guess. And you have Trevor Williams, who right now looks like he might be non-tendered. So when it comes down to it, if if the Pirates are looking to trade away rotation pieces to allow you know a guy like Brubaker and Ponce and some of these younger arms to get chances – then for them to you know actually move on from Musgrove uh, from a guy and get something back for him, Joe Musgrove looks to be like the most logical trade candidate. Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. I mean, Musgrove looks like it, it seems like they were on the brink of trading him at the trade deadline, but at the eleventh hour, some things fell apart just because the Toronto Blue Jays weren't one hundred percent certain on his health. So I do think had Musgrove not land on the injured list, he already would have been traded. So I will not be surprised at all if he's moved in the offseason. I mean, like you said, I would love for them to extend Joe Musgrove. I, I am a big fan of his. I think he is a very good starting pitcher. He has shown that his last couple of starts. I mean, his slider has been nasty since he came back from the injured list. And I think that Musgrove is a guy who he's never going to anchor your rotation, but he's a guy who could be there as your number three and give you 200 quality innings a year. And that's valuable. Teams will pay for that. And I think that the Pirates, as you said, Nick, looking to add talent to that next window, which is coming in a few years, you know, with, with the struggles that Bell has had this year offensively, with some of the struggles that Adam Frazier has had, with also with some of his, his – his limitations on offense. Musgrove is probably your most valuable trade chip heading into the offseason of guys who you would realistically trade. So I I think that, like you said, the better he pitches is not just good for Joe Musgrove, it's good for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So hopefully he can go out there. He'll make one more start this year against Cleveland. Hopefully he'll go out there, turn in a strong start, and really have some good trade value heading into the offseason. There's nothing that – that's nothing that Pittsburgh Pirate fans want to hear. Um, you know, this is the whole, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, you know, thing of, you know, being the farm system for the rest of the league. Why are we going to trade Joe Musgrove when he's finally looking like, you know, he's going to be a, a good big league pitcher? But it's it's all about where they're at right now. It's all about understanding the, the 2023 window and – you know, if, if unfortunately that's how the pirates have to operate. And so they're going to have to make that decision this off season, whether they want to extend them or, you know, if they want to trade them, I, 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 I just don't, I think it's one or the other at this point. And that's what's so sad too. You know, like you said, Nick, it's, it's not what pirates fans want to hear he's turning the corner. Now, you know, we're getting back to that old big Joe and he's such a, such a great clubhouse presence, such a likable guy brings so much energy to the ballpark every night. But it's really, you know, it's really that make or break point for Joe Musgrove and the Pittsburgh Pirates. This offseason is going to be, um, you know, really interesting to see how they move him. And so many of these guys that we've talked about all night, Josh Bell, see what they're going to do with him. Gregory Polanco, um, you know, the Adam Frazier conversation is still obviously the door is open there. Um, some other guys, this offseason is going to be just so, I think, eventful. I, I You know, it's going to be, it's going to be trade after trade, hopefully signing after signing, and hopefully a full reset, um, you know, for, for 2022, 2023. Big Joe looking great on Sunday. The bullpen letting him down again. Uh, you know, really the 11 strikeouts was, I think, the, the biggest part of that start, though. And it's just like we've been talking about, it's just great to see him back with the confidence, coming back against a good lineup 
in St. Louis and pitching well. The Pirates, after suffering the three losses against the Redbirds this weekend, will welcome in the Chicago Cubs, the final home series of the year, a four-game set. JT Brubaker getting back on the hill to face off against John Lester. Cabrian Hayes will uh, seemingly get back into the lineup for Monday's game after missing the start on Sunday. What are you guys most excited about for this for this upcoming series this week as we start to get close to the end of this 2020 season? I'll, I'll be excited to watch what Stephen Brault can do when he makes his next start against the Cubs. I mean, he was terrific last Thursday. You know, the two-hit complete game shutout. Just the best he has ever looked. And he, he's put together a nice year for the Pirates, Brault has. So it'll be nice to see him finish on a high note and really solidify himself as a member of this rotation moving into the offseason. Um, JT Brubaker will start Monday. He, he's coming off a good start against the Reds last time out. He was just one run in five and a third, a big bounce back outing. But, I mean, two of his last three starts now, one of which were against the Cubs, have been strong starts. So let's see if Brubaker can finish the year strong. And then even Trevor Williams, there's a lot of, a lot of interest there for me, as we touched on earlier on the show. He really is starting to look like a non-tender candidate this offseason. So it's possible that, you know, this – I mean, it's possible their decision's already been made, and it's also possible this is the last time he starts for the Pirates. So we'll have to see what happens there. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of intrigue around this, the starting rotation this week. You know, guys like Brault and Brubaker who are trending in the right direction for 2021 and a guy like Williams who's most certainly not trending in the right direction. Certainly, yeah. And with Brawl, too, it's it's been so interesting this year. Such a sleepy, consistent year. I mean, he's really been one of the better pitchers coming out of the bullpen at times, starting most of the time. And I think the opener, you know, the way they rolled with, with uh, Chad Cool and Steven Brawl to begin the year messed with him a little bit. You know, there was this start where he was removed early um, when he shouldn't have been. And then the start where he was inserted and, and absolutely blew it up. But great to see him rebound this year and put a few great starts out there with Trevor Williams too. You know, like you said, it's, it's so sad to think that we might not see Trevor Williams pitch for this team ever again after this upcoming start. It's crazy because I think he was, you know, this offseason one of the hardest workers, you know, a guy that we were really excited to see come back in 2020 and put out good numbers. And for a little bit, we saw it, but this, this realistically could be it for T-Dub. Chad Cool goes on Thursday against a red-hot Chicago Cubs team, first place in the division against, uh, you know, maybe not first place in the division Pirates. It's going to be a fun one before they get set to head to Cleveland to end this 2020 year. We're going to have the full recap for you on Thursday as we, we, as we lead into the weekend. But that is all for this episode of Rum Bunter Radio, the mailback episode. I love when we do this. We got to do this more often, guys. We get, uh, you know, the, the Twitter questions, everything else. This was a whole lot of fun. You know, especially, especially once we get into the off season here, and it's going to be a little bit of content season. We'll need some help, you know, creating <laughs> content for some of these shows. We'll we'll be we'll be leaning on you guys for mailbag questions. So start thinking of them now. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever you guys need to know, and you know, a lot of news like we've been talking about is going to break this off season. Whatever you guys' thoughts are, we'd love to hear them. Reach out to us on Twitter, not just for the mailbag episode. Whenever you feel at Rumbunter, you can find us there. All of our articles, content coming out daily. A lot of stuff to cover as the season comes to a close here and we get set for the offseason heading into 2021. You can find us as well on Apple Music, on Omni.com, on fansided.com slash rumbunter. But until next time, we're root for your pirates. Let's go, Bucks. Have a great week, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. 